internet's on March 29th. Remember, you can always subscribe to the show on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, YouTube, and uh, leave a rating if you're really interested. You can listen to all of them. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at BrianBuck13 and at RedTicketBlues. So normally what happens is every Thursday I have an interview with a distinguished person in the sports media field. And uh, today I decided, well, we're going to flip the script. We're going to have the Thursday interview come out for you today. Um, because I just got off a plane, I'm very tired, and the show will suffer. The quality won't be the same that the millions of listeners around the world have become accustomed to. So, I'm doing this for you, damn it. Uh, we have Dave Sims, who is the voice of the Seattle Mariners, and really, Dave has done everything in the field you could possibly imagine. Writer, broadcaster, play-by-play, host shows, radio programs, I mean, he he's done it all, so uh, I was lucky enough to get the opportunity to... Uh, Talk with Dave, so uh, let's listen to that. We welcome in the current play-by-play voice of the Seattle Mariners from Root Sports Northwest, and that, of course, Dave Sims. Dave, welcome to the Red Ticket Blues podcast. Brian, good to be with you, man. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on. Uh, Let's jump into those aforementioned Mariners. I mean, by all means, a very disappointing campaign last year. Many pundits had them in the World Series. Of course, 76 wins is not going to cut it. There's been some additions, some subtractions, including a new general manager. How are the M's looking for the 2016 season? Well, I mean, here we are with uh, about 10, 11 days to go in spring training. It's hard to really get a read on it. I mean, the feeling is good. Everybody's on the same page in terms of uh, from the GM, Jerry DePoto, the staff service to the coaches, to the players. Very enthusiastic. We got some more cuts to, uh, to go, uh, still to come get down to the 25, but, you know, they're, they're all about controlling the strike zone, uh, both offensively and defensively. Uh, I think they're better, they say, and it appears to be they're better suited to catch the ball in the space of field of, of uh, Safeco Field. Cruz and Cano are healthy. Seager's healthy. Felix is back. So we'll see. We'll, I think they're going to be very competitive. I think they're, gonna, they're flying under the radar as opposed to last year's this time when they were the sexy choice to uh, possibly get to the World Series. So we'll see. I mean, I, I don't think anybody has a handle at this stage uh, on what's going to happen in baseball. I mean, I think, you know, you, when you get to the quarter pole of, of the season, I think you'll have a better a better opportunity to, to know what, what's going on. But you know, the optimism is high, and, you know, let's see what happens. You know, the optimism is always high. It's pretty strange. Yeah, no, I understand. And you're probably right. Flying under the radar is probably a better place you want to be than uh, the pick to go to the World Series. Um, in Seattle, the Seahawks are always lauded for their passionate, loud fan base. You know, we hear it, we see it at CenturyLink Field. How would you describe Mariners fans to uh, an out-of-towner? Well, we, we have a very loyal fan base. Uh, you know, we draw really – we draw pretty dogs on what. you got to remember, we are the only baseball team for that whole you know, northwest quadrant, a uh, uh, quarter of the country – into Canada and all the way up to Alaska. So in terms of geographic area, we cover. We might have the largest, uh, you know, area of coverage and, and, and fan base of any team in, in baseball. Um, it, it's a good crowd. It's a, a crowd that's hungry for a winner. Uh, it's been since a one, the great uh, team that won 116 games, and you know, and that was the aftermath of, of the '95 team that uh, that beat the Yankees in the division playoffs and uh, save baseball in the city. So it's a great fan base. It gets it's a, it, you know, in a great ballpark. It's different from, from uh, the Seahawks. You know, they only play 10 games in right. now. I mean, eight games and whatever they get in the playoffs. So, of course, that's going to stand out, you know, uh, a lot. But, but we get, our summers in Seattle are spectacular. 
you know, low humidity, the heat is reasonable. And if the team's playing well, it's as, it's as good a place to be in the country. Nice. I, I got to get out there at some point. Um, so let, let's transition to you a little bit. Uh, you're from Philadelphia, and throughout your career, you've worn many hats in the industry. Uh, once you had the direction to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pursue that field, what exactly were you trying to get into first? Writing, broadcasting, something else? Well, I, w- I wanted to get into to broadcasting and play-by-play, but and uh, when I was in, in college, I did a lot of radio and I did a lot of writing, and I wound up getting an internship after my sophomore year and invited back the following year and then invited back my senior, after my senior year to work at the Philadelphia Inquirer, which was a life-changing experience, and that put me on that track. And I, you know, I wound up at the New York Daily News for seven years, and so the newspaper background was almost... In a lot of respects, it's sort of like getting an unofficial master's degree in, in, in journalism. And the experiences were, were tremendous. Learn how to write and work under pressure. Learn how to deal with people, all kinds of people. And then, uh, you know, broadcasting opportunity, a couple of them came up and we jumped on them and, and things have worked out pretty well. All right. So, uh, I mean, let's look at this. You were doing sports talk on WNBC Sports Night before the actual idea of sports yep. radio even existed with a, a behemoth like WFAN. Uh, when you were taking calls on sports night, did you ever think the industry had a shot to become what it is now? Well, uh, not, not as big. I mean, uh, when I came on, my show uh, came on in response to uh, WNBC was running. Before I got there, it was a combo sports talk music show, if you can believe that. Billy Joel and when we come back, we're going to talk about the Yankees uh, losing streak right after this. WNBC. <laughs> when I got there, we did all sports. And we were we were competing against Art Russ Jr., who was the the preeminent sports guy uh, in in New York City, uh, talk radio on WABC with you know fifty thousand watts clear channel. He was the only sports talk guy uh, of renown. I think John Sterling was doing a little bit of MCA, but I think that was only on weekends. Art was on Monday through Friday, and when I came on in, in March of '86, we competed head to head. Art and I were friends. I used to be a frequent guest on the show. Next thing you know. I'm hosting a show competing against them. Uh, and then, you know, obviously they grew into FAN, and, and who knew? I think we all laughed. All sports stations, no way it's going to work. And FAN has turned out to be a mega success. I was glad to play a part in, in some of those early some of those early years after uh, they took over the, the 66 location on the dial. But no, I didn't, I didn't expect to get to this point. I really didn't. You know, I've heard you mention in other places that when you were paired up with Eddie Coleman on WFAN, many thought it would produce sparks because of your different backgrounds. And you said that ultimately you, right. you agreed on most things, so it was different. Now, do you think the industry of sports talk radio these days is too based on, you know, uh, contrarian takes and made-up opinions? Yeah, I think a lot of that started up at, uh, at ESP. It fired up. It, I think it got really big in ESPN on TV and everything was a point-counterpoint, which was trying to capitalize on the old CBS 60 Minutes thing with that uh, was Shane Alexander and, and uh, Jack Kilpatrick. And, you know, sports doesn't always have to be, you know, pro and kind. I mean, the discussions are going to come out, uh, come up, and, and, and you're going to have two sides and three sides and gray areas in any argument. But, you know, I just was resentful at the end of my run at the uh, – at, um, at WFAN that it was intimated by some powers that be that, you know, hey, we put this black guy from Philly uh, together with this white Irish Catholic guy from, uh, from Boston, and we figured sparks would fly, and it turned out we had more in common than, than who knew. And, and, I, and Eddie and I are still good pals, and, 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 and I thought we did great radio together for, for three years or so, whatever it was that we were together. Um, 
I, you know, Mike and Mike, they do a hell of a job on, uh, on, on ESPN. They're not screaming at each other right. and, and at each other's throats. I know there've been, I think there've been a lot of duos that they've tried to do that with. And there's some have met with success, but you know, that's certainly, I got into sports because I love it and enjoy it. And yeah, there's, there's obviously going to be discussion to take my team against your team. But sometimes, you know, you think they, they try to turn it in, people in the industry try to turn it into WWE. <laughs> at, at times, yes. And like you said, it, uh, it, it's really gone on to a new level uh, on ESPN on television the past probably at least five years or so. It's really reached new levels. Uh, you know, at the biggest sports radio station in the country, that being WFAN, and in the nation's biggest melting pot, as long as I can remember, there's been one full-time minority mainstay, and that's Tony Page. Uh, do you see this as a problem in, in the world of sports or in, well, hey, I'm the only black full-time, uh, I'm the only black full-time TV play-by-play guy in major league baseball. And there's only about eight or nine, there's less than 10 guys, uh, African-Americans broadcasting baseball in all the major leagues. Uh, and when I was, and, and, you know, that's, I don't know if it's by design or not, but, you know, I was, when I was at WNBC, I was the only black guy there. I was the only black guy at WFAN. And since then, there's only been, I think, in a time, there might have been Bill Daughtry and Tony Page. For, I think they overlapped for a time at FAN. And I think, uh, as far as I know, like you said, Tony's the only African-American there now. And over at, uh, at ESPN 1050 in, in New York, at, uh, I mean, on 90, what is it, what's it, 98, 98, 98 yeah. Um, as uh, Larry Larry Hardesty and and uh, and, uh, and Billy Daughtry, so you know I, I don't. Sometimes I get the feeling that they're not looking for you know that 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 minority voice at, at all. I think ESPN has done a pretty decent job. I think Bobani Jones does a hell of a job, and Terry Coleman over at ESPN. Those are the, probably the two most well-known nationally got you know national guys on national radio that do it. But, you know, the numbers aren't good. It should be better here in 2016. No, that's a very fair analysis. Um, Now, you do a show. uh, You're staying in the sports radio, uh, you know, venue. You do a show with Duke coach Mike Krzyzewski on Sirius XM Radio. How exactly did you get involved with with that concept? Well, I I know Mike from when uh, he was in Army, and I was at the Daily News, and I used to uh, attend and write at the – basketball writers luncheons and then I eventually ran them for a couple of years and and we used to have weekly uh, get-togethers at Mama Leone's which is long gone it was on uh, West 48 just well just east of 8th Avenue on the north side of the street and we would get all the big coaches from the New York metropolitan area you know we had P.J. Carlos Maud Wagner we had Moody Karnasek at St. John's Bill Rafter at Seton Hall Tom Penders at Fordham uh, Mike Krzyzewski at, at Army uh, and, you know, LIU, um, a lot of the, some of the Ivy League schools and if, if visiting teams were coming in with coaches, and we would get there, get together and fellowship, and it would be a great opportunity to get everybody together, and we'd all come out with stories, and, and we'd talk up the game and, and promote the game, and that's, that's how we met. So, And then flash forward, I started doing basketball. I would go play-by-play, and I would get Duke games every now and then. I'd see him in a tournament and everything in one year. Oh, yeah, and then before I started doing baseball, my wife and I were doing media coaching for athletes, and you know, knowing Mike and a lot of coaches around the country, I called him up and said, hey, this is what we're doing. We're getting seminars. Would you like us to come in? And Mike has had, Mike had us in a few times and like what we did. And then uh, I guess this is when Sirius, uh, this XM and Sirius uh, came into being, and I remember after one of the seminars, they, they asked me, I said, listen, uh, we got a 
you have any restrictions that would keep you from doing a, a national radio show? I said, no, what do you got? Well, XM has offered, you know, as, as coach to uh, do the, a weekly show. They've got big backing behind them. And would you like to do it? We did it on uh, on XM, I don't know, about four or five years. And then when that, the two companies merged, you know, we, we, you know, we're now in our 11th year. And, and, that, and that's how it came to be. I mean, it's an old friendship. And, uh, and the other thing, it's a different kind of role for me. I mean, basically, I just, I, I, if you will, it's almost like an Ed McMahon right, kind of role. Right. I just try to see him up and, and, uh, and then get out of the way. And, and, and because of his cachet and who he is, we're able to get pretty much anybody we want in, in the whole country, whether in, in sports, politics, and that's why we call it basketball and beyond. So uh, it, it's been great. Um, I think this is, what, season 11. Uh, you know, my, I had a Duke connection. My wife went to Duke for grad school. So, it, it, you know, there was sort of a natural progression there that, 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 that has really worked out well. So my kids went to his camps this season when they were, when they were little. And, and uh, so it's been, a, it's been a great relationship. And it's fun. Yeah, when, when you have someone like Coach K, I'm sure the uh, talent pool is uh, quite accessible uh, to bring guests. Oh, up. I mean, we can get anybody. It's ridiculous. I mean, uh, when the NASCAR champion, when they crown a NASCAR champion, uh, we usually get them on when they, the Daytona 500 winner. We've had a, I'm trying to remember. I know we've had a couple of golfers on. We always get the football coaches, you know, teams that they're running hot during the season. And then if they, whoever wins the Super Bowl, we generally get them on. I mean, we had Coach Kubiak on. Actually, we had Kubiak before the Super Bowl. We had Bill, Bill Belichick on a few times, and he's been a, he's been funny. He's actually really? been a battle of laughs, and that's and that's not an exaggeration. He's been he's been great. And it turned out Bill and I are about the same age, and he played college football against some guys I went to high school with. Well, that was pretty cool. Uh, I mean, we've had Arnie Duncan, the former Secretary of Education, on. We've had uh, Mrs. George H. W. Bush on. Uh, let's see, we've had a lot of guys in baseball. We had Joe Torrey, Mike Sosha, Joel Madden. Um, uh, but most recently, we had Bryce Harper. He's a big Duke fan. Uh, Mike Trapp's a huge Duke fan, so we had him on recently. That Interesting. Barkley's on. Yeah, Barkley's on every year. And we get built every year. And, and then the coaches, I mean, you just run right through them. Calipari, Izzo, Bob Huggins. Um, uh, on the pro side, we get uh, uh, we get Greg Popovich. We've had LeBron. We've had Kobe. We had Dwayne Wade. I mean, it's a, it's a who's yeah, who really. of people we've had over the last 11 years. Yeah, it's been phenomenal. yeah that, that list could just keep going on, I bet. Um You've yeah. you've talked sports, uh, excuse me. Uh, yeah, you, you're talking about the sports that you've covered, that then the play by play. Now you've done the big three, really, in this country, that being baseball, football, and basketball. Which do you yeah. enjoy the most? Uh, my standard answer, and I mean this wholeheartedly, it's like which one of my sons do I love more? I mean, they're all great. Okay. They're all different, offered uh, all different timing, rhythm, uh, and, and and cultures, and it has been great. I mean, I did something like 18 or 19 years of NFL and uh, the NCAA tournament on, on, on Westwood One Radio. I'm in my 10th year of doing uh, Mariners TV and Mariners on TV and radio. Uh, I did a lot of ESPN and ESPN regional uh, football and basketball. I mean, I've, I've, I've truly lived the dream, man. I mean, I, I can remember playing card games and dice games with my, my pals in Philly and and, you know, playing stickball and, you know, we'd be pitching and announcing at the same time. I mean, it's, it's, it's really been a dream come true. And, and, uh, 
So let's bring it full circle here back to the Mariners. Since 2007, you've been the television play-by-play man for the Seattle Mariners. Now, baseball is going through some changes regarding rules and, and a culture change, so to speak. Um, so where do you stand on the hot button issue of bat flipping and soaking in the moment, which, you know, in the past few years has really become a fabric of baseball for better or worse, depending on who you talk to. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm not going to go goose gossip, Johnny. I mean, I, I still don't have a problem with what Batista did. I mean, it was in the moment. It was in, it was a great moment. I thought it was terrific. I mean, I'd have been probably a little bit, I might have been a little, you know, hacked off and it happened against us. But it was a great moment. I mean, come on. I mean, and it was a postseason. And, and obviously, like a lot of things in life, if, if, if you abuse them or if you do it too much, you go to the well too right. often, then it becomes, you know, just stupid. And, you know, I don't want guys in their everyday, you know, baseball doing that kind of stuff. But, I mean, you know, when guys come home on a high, uh, home run, uh, they touch, all, touch them all and high-five and all that kind of stuff, they have their little routine. I don't have a problem with that stuff. But, uh, you know, again, it, the the moments that came out that, that sort of raised the temperature. Yeah, I mean, that kind of stuff. It's uh, As long as it doesn't get abusive, man, I don't have a problem with it. I mean, if it's, it's in a big moment. You're allowed to, 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 you know, celebrate with your guys. Just try not to show up, you know, don't don't go out of your way to show up the opposition. Right. I mean, I, I, I sort of get what Harper was saying. I mean, it, and it's a generational thing. You know, he watches his contemporaries in the other sports, and they're able to do that kind of stuff, and nobody th- really thinks anything of it. Although I know a football guy makes a sack or, or you know, uh, or makes a routine play. Uh, you know, makes a stop, and everybody's got to do a dance. I, you know, and I blame a lot of that on TV. We don't have to show. Them, right, so. right. But uh, you know, it's it, it just gotta it, just be classy about it. Try to be enthusiastic, but yet at the same time be classy and and, and don't be just because the other thing too, what goes around in baseball it seems like it always does come back around. Eventually. I think that's the main thing. What goes around comes around. I think some people and players don't understand that, and and I, I also agree with what you said too. You know. It's hard to control emotion sometimes when you start choreographing it. That it's sort of your signature move. Yeah. Then it's 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 a bit uh, you know tiresome. Uh, yeah. And uh, those game changes concerning speeding up the game and enforcing and reviewing the neighborhood play. You think that's good for baseball? Yeah. You know I don't you know I don't really I don't have anything to use Chase Utley as a guy who grew up really fan and rooted for them when they had their glory years during the you know early part of the century. I thought that was I thought that was you know, he was great. I didn't like the way he, he took the kid out with the floors and the, with the mess. I thought that was that was over the top. I think the new rules are good. I thought the catcher, you know, crashing into the catcher rule, I thought that was good. The 30-second rule on, on allowing, uh, you know, for coaches, that, you know, managers or pitching coach come out, hey, get it done 30 seconds or less, pal. I think that's great. I think they'll eventually probably limit the number of catcher visits, too, or put, put a timing on that. That wouldn't shock me. Uh, I have no, I have no problem with it. Speed it up, and and I think Harper makes a point, and I know in the black community, you know, baseball it's not what it was when I was growing up. I mean, every every neighborhood in Philly, you know, there was a playground and somebody's playing some form of baseball, and that's not the case anymore. And it's a shame, and I think we only have, what do we have, seven eight percent African Americans in Major League right. Baseball now. I mean, it's brutal. Uh, you know, Jackie Robinson, Larry Doby, and those guys rolling over in their graves with that. I mean, all the stuff that they went through and fought for, and, and now hardly anybody participates, you know, serves African-Americans. We don't even see that many folks in the, in the ballpark anymore, which is really sad. So, 
and that, you know, that's that's something I'm I'm concerned with. I wish I I wish I could have more of a direct impact on that, but you know, it is what it is, and hopefully. You know, things will start to come around and go and, and trend back the other way before long. I want to thank Dave for coming on the Red Ticket Blues podcast. Before you leave to play us out, I have three quick questions for you, Dave. You ready? Sure. What do you All got? right. Boxing got? or UFC? I'm a boxing guy. I'm old school. I figured for Philadelphia, it had to be a boxing. Um, Absolutely. Tough, great boxing cat. Exactly. I, I knew that was a gimme. Um, greatest game you ever called? Felix Hernandez, no hitter, no perfect game. Or was it August 15th of 2012? There you go. And best cheesesteak. You're from Philly. Patch Geno's or other? Delisandro's in Roxborough, Henry Avenue. Not even close. <laughs> he is Dave Sims. He is the play-by-play voice of the Seattle Mariners. You can follow him on Twitter at the Dave Sims Show. Dave, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the Red Ticket Blues podcast. Yeah, you bet, Brian. All the best. And that was Dave Sims, a interesting listen to all around. Everyone enjoyed it. I don't even have to say I hope everyone enjoyed it because everyone did. Hey, can't stop talking about the Red Ticket Blues podcast. Well, that's great. You can continue talking about it. And remember to listen to it on iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, YouTube, and follow me on Twitter at BrianBuck13 and at Red Ticket Blues. And be sure, again, to subscribe so you don't miss an episode on any of your favorite podcasting things. So enjoy the rest of your day. And with all that being said, I'm out of here.